Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. In the upcoming show, you'll learn about the importance of a simple input device that most of us take for granted nowadays, and a little known quirk with how Windows works. Ian will tell us about what he's been cooking up lately. We will discuss some great ways to maintain productivity and stay sharp. Plus, Ian will tell us how he lives so frugally when shopping for a new home lab computer or a Hackintosh. The firefighters came by today. They visit your neighborhood? No, they only come by my neighborhood to actually put out fires. Why were they in your neighborhood? They came by doing a, a food drive. A lot of the fire departments are doing food drives right now with the pandemic going on. A lot of people are out of work. A lot of people need food. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing and sad at the end of the day. I've been looking at some of the news and I've seen people lining up around buildings in Los Angeles, in New York, some of the bigger cities where people are standing in food bank lines and it's reminds me of of the black and white pictures i used to see in in my books growing up a, a about the great depression it's insane that we're seeing some of the same stuff today that's true i mean a lot of people have lost their jobs a lot of people could really use some help right now besides what the government is giving everyone at the moment yeah the twelve hundred dollars it's not enough. In fact, I've got, I'm helping or trying to help a, a friend. He was laid off because of COVID-19, you know, the, the worst time to actually lose your job. So he's, he's looking for a job and I've been trying to get him in touch with different resources. And it's, he has the added on effect that his wife is also very pregnant. So that's a double whammy. And as we've discussed offline, your 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 health insurance it's tied to your job. So I'm working hard to help him get a job, but again, I'm not HR, and he's at the whims of the of the company's hiring practices. Absolutely, yeah, that's very true. And there's a the candidate pool has blossomed with a lot of new candidates due to the recent layoffs in other companies as well. So it's a very crowded field at the moment. Yeah, and it's funny, working in information security, you always hear about there's a job shortage, there's a job shortage, there's always this job shortage of people who work in InfoSec. Yet, in my experience, these companies take their sweet time trying to find candidates, and if there's this, and if there's this huge shortage, my question is, why does it take so long to find all of these candidates? that they need it's that catch 22 right if you have the skills you can't get a job and if you want to get into infosec they want the skills and it's this back and forth back and forth but i always hear about this great this great gap when it comes to job seekers and jobs that are available it's it's it seems like it's not changing and i i don't get it yeah, I feel like we could joke all day long about job postings listed where you need 10 years of security and a product that's only five <laughs> years old and different things like that, where if something's listed and HR doesn't understand and they inflate numbers potentially to make the, the job a higher skilled position to justify, say, a higher pay or better benefits, 
then it's artificially inflated. And I think most of the need is for these higher level positions because you actually don't see as many low level positions listed as you see higher level positions listed. So there's this disconnect between people with experience and the positions that are needed to fill that gap. They should be lower level, but they're not. Yeah, they need to write the job description specifically to the job that they want, not use these templates or have someone who's not in InfoSec write the job description. That would save so much time and so much disappointment, so much just wasted time at the end of the day on both the company, the employer, the recruiter, and the job seeker. We, we um, could do a whole show about the IT job process. Yeah, precisely. I, you nailed a lot of the points. I think a lot of people are gonna, going to agree with a lot of the things you just said. We should see if we can't get Christy, the LinkedIn IT recruiting guru, get her as a podcast guest. We should make that a make of that a plan for our first or one of the many interviews that we'll have. We should definitely get her on. She'd be fascinating to talk to and would have tons of stories and hints and that that'd be a pretty big win we should definitely make that a goal by the end of the year to get her on so just in case anyone is unaware of of what ian's discussing there's a woman on linkedin she's one of the top recruiters on the platform and her name is i believe christy bonner she is huge all over linkedin giving a lot of great free advice about how to get through these automated systems how to fix your resume, how to leverage LinkedIn to get noticed. Yeah, we will put her information in the show notes. But I think I I found her either LinkedIn stalking somebody and her name pops up. And it's funny because all of my IT connections or lots of my IT connections use her or or have some some type of connection with her because what she says is timely and what she says is real she's got great great tips and we will definitely in include her in our show notes so ian what's your preferred kind of mouse i go back and forth back and forth i so right now it's funny i am using a cheap little dell mouse that came with this dell keyboard that i will and dell computer that i talk that i will talk about later on but it's a standard optical mouse now this is a desktop setup and i don't game on this computer it's solely for productivity so this mouse is fine it's wired it's got two buttons and a scroll wheel and it and it suits my needs fine now if i'm traveling i have a wireless logitech g620 that i got for 25 bucks on slick deals and it's a gaming mouse and it's got the buttons but i don't i don't use any of that stuff it's a great mouse and i uh, use it for my laptop setup because it is portable the battery lasts a long time i've had no no uh, real complaints but i i am um, understand you've been looking at a new mouse DJ that's true yeah I recently built a computer and I bought 
a new mouse from Corsair and it's not one of those thumbball mouses. It's a normal mouse because I love myself. What's a thumbball mouse? The one they usually have little a little ball that you move just with your thumb off to the left side. A trackball? Trackball, yeah. <laughs> thumbball, trackball. Those okay. by many many unloved names. Well, there are there are people who swear by those trackball mice. I'm I'm not one of them because yeah, like you, I can't get used to it. It feels foreign and weird. But some folks, I guess, if they've got carpal tunnel or hand problems, they love those mice. Well, I recently built this gaming computer, and I went all out on getting some top-of-the-end parts. I really went in, and most of my budget was unconstrained when it came to the actual components that I was putting inside the box of that PC. I got this really nice graphics card, a lot of fast RAM, a, a great 8-core CPU to throw in there. Are you team red or, or team blue? 100% team red right now. It just makes more sense price-wise. I think my next build will be a AMD, but I've got a Intel for now, but I do love what AMD is doing. But sorry, sorry to interrupt. Please continue. That's all right. You'll, you'll come around one day. <laughs> so I put all this time into researching these parts. I built this computer out. I ordered all the parts, and then I realized I need a, a new keyboard and mouse to go with this. It just wouldn't be the same if I didn't buy new peripherals to go with this. And... The thing I didn't factor in the most was the experience I would have of cheaping out on the mouse. Because once I got through my budget, um, the mouse was an afterthought. The keyboard was even less of an afterthought. I knew I wanted an ergonomic keyboard. So I went ahead and just spent $30 on a Corsair Harpoon wired mouse. I thought it was fairly nice because it had scalable DPI. But had I spent $20 more, I could have got more buttons, and it would be a weighted mouse. You could adjust the weight of the mouse if I had just purchased a Logitech G520 that a, a friend had told me that he purchased a little while back, and he swears by it. So for the lack of $20 more, I got a subpar experience. And, and I really believe that we could use this as a really rough PSA to say, if you want an upgraded experience, you should consider not only getting a new keyboard, but getting a nicer mouse. Tell me about the actual weight. I've seen for years you can add weights to your mouse. Do you actually you do that? Mine doesn't have that feature, sadly, because I cheaped out. <laughs> but my friend who does have the mouse swears by the fact that it's weighted because it makes it feel his words are better in the hand because as you're sliding it around, it just does not feel cheap and you can adjust it. If it's too heavy, you can slide the bottom cover off and start to take small pieces out until you get it to the exact weight you would like. That's interesting because growing up, the, the first mice that I would use were those heavy mice with the, with the trackball on the bottom of it, you know, pre-optical, never really felt the need to have lots of weight behind it since you're putting your hand on top of the mouse kind of acts as the weight pressing on it. Maybe things have changed, but again, you know, mouse pads have changed and I, I'm going to talk about that as well. But I've, I've always seen that, you know, for those 
for the people who play first-person shooters or if they're competitive gamers, they actually do like the weights. And maybe it's something I need to 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 experience before I become a weighted mouse user myself. We'll see, but I would give it a try. I mean, they seem to be all of the rage, and like I, like I see all of these gamers, they they uh, swear by them. Uh, but I think um, so. So in addition to you know the insides of uh, your computer, what are some other cheap things that that um you could do that would make your 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 user experience much better day to day? Speakers, 100%. I would say the next line item you should focus it would be keyboard, mouse speakers because getting going from a 2.0 to a 2.1 speaker system with that subwoofer can actually make quite a difference even if the subwoofer is not adjustable like in my case are these speakers that are in headphones is it like two 2.1 headphone or is it actual like speakers you place on your desk no they're desktop speakers that's cool and and what what brand did you go with those? I went with Edifier because once again, a lot of the money in my budget went towards the actual PC components. So the keyboard, mouse, and speakers were much of an afterthought. The monitors even came before the speakers and the mouse and keyboard. So the speakers, I think, were right around $30 for a 2.1 Jeez, that's set. Cheap. And they actually sound pretty good because of that subwoofer on the floor i've switched to headphones for my for my gaming needs now i'm still stereo but i agree with you i do miss my 5.1 sound or my 7.1 or 7.2 sound just to get that experience uh, where you turn your head and the sound can go with you because it's 3d and spatial but i would since I don't game as much, it's 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 not as a big deal as it was, but you're right. It does make a huge difference and it does make the game you know even better. It just it just sucks you into the game even more, which is just pretty awesome. So, maybe I I will look into uh some new some new speakers. I've got some Bose that were some hand-me-downs and maybe I will plug those back in cuz that's a 2.1 system here's what i'll do i will plug it in this week and i will let you know how it sounds next week even if you have a laptop it's a better investment especially while people are working from home because it can enhance anything you're trying to listen to especially compared to laptop speakers which are absolutely the worst so you talk about laptop speakers being bad i've had the good fortune of being able to use a MacBook Pro for the past week, and I've been blown away with the sound quality of these speakers. Like you, I'm I'm used to laptop speakers having tinny sound, or or the speakers won't get loud, or if you make them loud, you get that nasty distortion, or or the speakers blow. So I'm gonna talk about that next week. In fact, I I will talk about going from a Windows back to a Mac, and what's that been like? It's it's kind of like riding a bicycle, but the bicycle has flat tires. 
because <laughs> it's been it's been so long. I've got so much PC muscle memory, so much Windows muscle memory that I'm I am having to learn some of the basics again. Or maybe I'm just an old man and and now tech is hard. <laughs> well, at least on the Mac side of things, it's so Unix Linux like that a lot of the same commands will just work if you ever have to drop into the command line. That's kind of the beauty of using Mac OS. It is the beauty, but the, to be honest, my my day-to-day -day on the Mac side is in the GUI unless I'm having to build out something like Splunk. I should probably make make some exercises to keep my brain sharp and relearn how to do stuff from the command line since everyone says it's that much more efficient and that much faster. So maybe I can make an exercise this week to do a task and do it from the command line just to see if it can be done. Maybe I can script out something. Always be learning, man. Always be learning. It's such a, a great thing. ABC, always be learning. Let Coffin taught me. So speaking of operating systems, they can be kind of weird in how they work, especially when we're talking about things that are drudged up from the past and have to be supported all the way through all the latest versions back from, say, the early 90s. The weird way that DOS would work still has to be supported in Windows just due to that backwards compatibility that Microsoft honors to their core, it's almost like a company culture of backwards compatibility. So did you know, for instance, that you cannot name a folder or a file in Windows con, C-O-N? What does con stand for in, in Windows? It doesn't stand for anything in Windows. It actually goes all the way back to the bad old days of DOS. I'd call those the good old days. <laughs> Life was more simple. And you said, it was it was Windows Core, this backwards compatibility. I would say it's to Microsoft's detriment. Just imagine all that legacy cruft and tech debt they got to keep on over and over again. You're exactly right. Yeah, you have to carry so much stuff along because you don't know if a customer you have on Windows 10 is running some old archaic program from 1995 that they are unwilling to upgrade or the cost is not justified to get the newest version things like that it it can be absolutely terrible and speaking of mac you ha almost have none of that on that side they upgrade to the point of almost offending their own user base they remove the floppy drive the cd drive the headphone jack and then they said they had courage they are to the point of almost being user hostile <laughs> It is user hostile, and I'm going to talk about it because everything that I want to do, I have to go into system preferences and give myself permission to do it. I didn't have to do this in the older versions of this operating system, but now everything that I want to do as a quote-unquote power user, a.k.a. normal user, I have to type in a system password, go to this window, go to go to system preferences, and they just keep changing changing stuff around. Like 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 you said, it's to the user's detriment. They've got so many gates and, and I guess that's that's why they call it gatekeeper. That's a really good point, yeah. So back to the reason you can't name things con. It actually goes way back to the battle days of Microsoft DOS, where even to this day 
especially if you're familiar with Linux, you'll know that you can use the greater than symbol to pipe things out. And actually, instead of writing to the terminal or writing to the console, you'll actually write out to a file. So due to that still being prevalent today, you can still do that in the command line today, brings us to why you cannot make a folder or a file named CON, not even capitalized because, so the reason you couldn't use the file name or the folder name CON was due to how you could pass things to a file in the same way with that symbol. So DOS could pass things out to different ports, say where a printer was waiting for input. A user could type in DIR less than LPT1 and within a few seconds, they could be holding a printout of that current directory. So it would send everything that would have been printed on the console directly to the printer and the printer would just print that out. That's the way the drivers were written during that time. A folder or a file also cannot be named LPT1, 2, 3, for any of those because that's an actual designated port that you can send things to. So for that same reason, a file or a folder can't be named con because it represents console. So say some old program is written to push something out to a console instead of writing out to a file, you could program it to where it said write out to con. So it's a special designation that has existed in every version of DOS and Windows, even today, due to the focus of backwards compatibility, as we mentioned earlier, by Microsoft. But it's not as if, as if they have much of a choice in this situation. If they were to change things now, it might break some old application that a company still requires for some critical business line process, as we're all very well familiar in enterprise. If this were to happen in the wrong industry, for example, say in the airline industry or the nuclear power industry, actual lives could be at risk. These are two industries known for operating old equipment until they're absolutely forced to upgrade, either by necessity or regulation. There's other industries just like them that rely on old applications and that backwards compatibility that Microsoft is so fond to uphold due to these old applications needing to write out to the console even in a newer version of Windows and questionable upgrade road roadmaps and lack of redundancy. The lack of redundancy is sort of assumed on my part here because otherwise we could assume the redundant systems would either facilitate a separate upgrade path or handle the workload until an in-place upgrade is achieved for that primary system. I think there's a few things we can take away from this little nugget of information that 99% of us will probably never use in the future in our careers. First, we can learn that you should always design a system with an eye to the future for an upgrade because nothing lasts forever and upgrades are ultimately inevitable. The second thing is you should always, always, always have a redundant system for critical business processes. No one can afford downtime and this pandemic has taught us that lost profits can do some very bad things to good companies. Thirdly, don't write homegrown business applications that you do not intend to support for decades, literally decades, because there's no upgrade path when you write something homegrown. One day, that programmer that wrote that for you, he's he or she is going to leave, take all that knowledge with them. 
And then if you ask them to come back, they're going to come back as an independent contractor and charge you 10 times what you would have paid them on payroll to do all to maintain code that they wrote 20, 30 years ago. Your, your comment about the pandemic and the homegrown code, it's very, very relevant. And the example I'll give you is all of the government systems, the, the check printing, the uh, check break systems for the for the COVID-19 stimulus payments all relied on a COBOL back in and they didn't have enough people to get these checks printed they needed to hire COBOL programmers so the government reached out to IBM IBM said hey calling all COBOL folks past and present there, there aren't that many present but all past we will pay you good money we need you right now to to, to step back up and help us get these checks printed out. It's it's very true. Uh, why they did not have anything current or made that switch to a more current system blows my mind. But they're so big, this is often a a failure of these of these big ships like a big enterprise or a big governor. They move slowly and there's lots of plans to move, but then other things happen and those goals get pushed back and, and you wake up one day and you lose one of your biz, business processes because you 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 no longer have the skill set to keep that running. So I agree with you that you got to look forward you, you have you have to look forward you have to to look for that disruption you got to be able to when um, things are going good you have to plan for that obsolescence plan plan for that failure so that you won't be caught flat flat-footed when black when black swan events like covid-19 happens you, you don't want to be in this reactive phase you want to have a a continuity plan that can equate for not having a COBOL programmer at your reach. You're precisely right. It reminds me these places like that have no redundancy. That system was burdened, overloaded. They couldn't rely on a secondary system because all they had was their primary system. Or if it went down, perhaps it was unintentionally DOSed or DDOSed for that matter, and you've got this system handling the back end of a website that is now seeing millions of people going on unemployment, all these requests need to be handled. And these old COBOL systems were just not developed for that load of traffic when your average unemployment rate is tremendously smaller than what we've seen during this pandemic. Yeah, it's one of those lesson learns. And if I was a leader of a company or a business and especially in IT and the in the business process I would want to have the the redundancies built in but also always be looking at the future looking at the future saying hey is this language dying on the vine where's what what language is my what what languages are my talent pool coming out of school learning what's being taught in school right now we should be always looking towards the future yeah in case we don't have these people who who have this system knowledge or who have this this business knowledge you'll get caught flat-footed 
every time and companies can fail for this exact reason you you may not always be able to get that uh, resource or if you do like you say they'll be charging you five to ten times more and that is that is just a simple reaction to supply and demand so speaking of an eye to the future what is in our future in terms of what you've been cooking up for us i've been cooking up some covid lack of ingredients cookies and these are actual peanut butter cookies i was watching youtube one night in fact i was watching alton brown he was on that show good eats and now it's been reborn as good eats reloaded and he's based out of atlanta and he was just doing pantry raids and making recipes from ingredients that most of us have in our pantries and i've got a confession i've got a, a sweet tooth i love i love sweets and i love uh peanut butter and i love making peanut butter cookies and this recipe is pretty simple it is super basic all you need is one cup one cup of peanut butter three-fourths cup of brown sugar and if you don't have brown sugar you can use white sugar if um, you're not doing sugar. You can do stevia or Splenda or some type of sugar substitute. Half teaspoon of baking soda, pinch of salt, a large egg, and the next two are, are optional. And that is one teaspoon of vanilla extract and half a cup of chocolate chips. Like I said, those two are optional and not really needed. But it's super simple. You combine all of those ingredients into a bowl mix them until well incorporated so you uh, mix the, the the peanut butter sugar baking soda and salt you can then add your egg mix it some more put it on a cookie sheet lined with parchment paper preheat your oven to about 350 degrees and then you bake for about 10 minutes and it's very important once you once they start to smell good and you take them out, do not take them off the rack. I know you'll be tempted to, but if you do, they will crumble apart. They'll just break. So leave them for at least five minutes at the minimum. I know it's hard, but five minutes, leave them. And then once you get done, you'll have COVID-19 approved peanut butter cookies. They are wonderful in there. They go great with milk. Oh, yes, they're so good. They're too good. In fact, maybe I'll make some tonight. Sugar can cause a, a real slowdown in everybody, especially if you eat a lot of sugary things for lunch, and then you try to sit back down at your desk and actually get anything accomplished. Do you have any tips or tricks to kind of help us keep our productivity high and, and keep the sugar bugs from destroying our productivity? Yes. Yes, that crash from sugar, it's real. And the crash from carbs, which are basically sugar, is also real. One thing I found is to, like, if, a, if, a, if a, you are working from home or if you're working and you have a big lunch or you're, you, you, you just ate that, uh, that um, donut that's been at the break room, get up and walk around right after you eat it. Don't sit down. Just get up and move. Get up and move real fast. If you don't get up and move, then that crash will certainly happen. But I've also got some um, music productivity that I've been exploring for the past three weeks. And I've heard it a long time ago, and I had forgotten about it. But it's something 
that I've rediscovered from a tech blogger called Carl Franklin. And Carl Franklin, he is a .NET programmer. He's been on This Week in Tech with Leo a couple times, but he's all about productivity hacking and and the science of how people learn, how you stay focused. And he also happens to be a very good musician. So he combined all of his skill sets, you know, music, programming, learning, coding, in this blog and app and CD called MTCB or Music to Code By. And it's not an album of music really i mean it is it is music but it's more as a scientifically created productivity tool it helps you focus intently on any task and it does this by working on how humans respond to beats per minute and how your attention span can change and sway and go back into focus all about the beats per music and there's an optimum beats per music that goes back into concentration and focus and the ideal range of this from research is 50 to 80 beats per minute and what this does is it gets those alpha waves going in your brain and those alpha waves are what lead to the intense concentration and intense focus. So Carl is a .NETs programmer and he would often find the same distractions that we all have at work. You got the dog barking, the the guy outside cutting grass, kids crying, all of those different distractions. So he was saying, "Dang, I keep getting distracted. What can I do?" So he he got into the science behind it and he also found out about the Pomodoro technique, which is 25-minute dedicated focused blocks, which is basically saying, all right, you break your work into different tasks, or you break your day assignments into these different tasks. And the ideal time of this is 25 minutes. And I will explain how it works. So Pomodoro is, let's say you have a task. This task is make a make make an account for twitter and this could be your task and what you do is you start this at 25 minutes and it counts down just like an egg timer it goes tick 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 right and during that entire time you're focused on that one task when that time's up ding 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 once that egg timer's up you then give yourself permission to walk away from that task at hand. And while you're doing that, the brain is processing everything that it just did. It's processing all, all that it just accomplished and all that it just learned. And that one instance is a Pomodoro method. And this goes back to what Carl Franklin did with his MTCB or music to code by was he made music that incorporated the same 25 minutes of the Pomodoro technique 
combine that with music that was in the 50 to 80 beats per minute to help you focus. So if you combine each of those things, you can focus intently on the task at hand. Now I know each person finds their own way to get into the zone, but for me personally, if I put on these songs, I am about 60 times more productive than I would be without it. So I am a strong fan, strong e evangelist of of the of the Pomodoro technique along with this with this music. And it's and it's also important that it's not music with words, it's just music in the background that just kind of gets you into the flow, gets you into the zone. And once you do it, time just seems to disappear. And you and you 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 look back and you say, Oh crap, it's it's lunchtime or oh crap, it's it's time to punch that clock in, it's time to go. Very cool, very cool tech technique. Carl Carl Franklin is a cool guy. I mean, he's done so much. In fact, when he was um, trying to get this idea off the ground, he said, "Hey, let me put this in Kickstarter." His goal was to raise seventy-five hundred dollars, and he beat that by twenty-five hundred and raised ten thousand bucks in thirty days. And once he once he did that, he actually produced this album called music to code by and it's 20 tracks all 25 minutes and they're all different sounding so I mean, you don't get bored but it's a great way to get the job done at hand if you go to his site just search net rocks or mtcb he's got some samples on there he also has some apps in the in um, the apple store and the play store you, you can get it on uh, yeah mac pc and android so really check it out it's it's been a game changer for me and it's funny like like i, I can tell my my workflow when i have his soundtracks on versus when i have it off it's it's almost like i get in this zen state and i'm just hammering stuff away like i just lose track of time and it's even on things that i that i'm not excited to be working on uh, and that's that's what it that's what the magic is is once you get in um, that flow, it's it's hard to get out. And the other thing that I found to help me with my own productivity demons is the Eisenhower method, and that's a super simple four-square method. And you put things into four categories: urgent, not urgent, important, and not important. And for example something that's urgent and important might be emergencies deadlines a call or a meeting that you have to get to something not important and not urgent might be busy work or, or a time waster and if you combine this eisenhower method this this simple grid with what you have to do at work you'll find that you get your work done a whole lot faster and you've got more time to spend on the things that you do care about not this busy work or not distraction or um, these interruptions it's it's all about prioritizing the work that's important versus not important what's urgent and then not an urgent so yeah that's that's my two cents on that how do you stay productive DJ and then what do you do when you find your mind slipping because 
because you've worked from home for a long time. So you've, you've probably got lots of good tips on productivity. When I'm working from home, a lot of things like music, good headphones, even though I have the, the nice speaker set up, good headphones really help me block everything out and just get my mind into what I'm doing. The MTCB, the fact that it doesn't have words, is right in line with how I've always felt without actually thinking about it. When I'm listening to music with words, it stops my complete train of thought if I'm trying to type an email or even read something. It's like trying to write or read when someone's talking directly in your ear, which almost defeats the purpose of working from home, where you have your solitude and there's no constant interruptions. It's funny because some days if I'm at a client site and I am surrounded by distractions, bleeps and blops and lights and people walking and people drinking coffee and the coffee machine going on. You've got so many micro distractions. It's a wonder that any work gets done. Yeah, exactly. So along the lines of keeping productive, is there anything you could share with us that helps you also keep your mind sharp while you're in that productivity lane? Yeah. I've been taking a course on Udacity, and it's actually about mind tricks. It's about mind tricks and doing things to keep your mind from atrophy, keeping your mind guessing, always trying to get those new synapses going. One thing that I've been working on right now is getting back into the programming mindset. I've been working on some exercises for JavaScript, and I've been learning about the DOM model, which I think stands for Document Object Model. And JavaScript is different from the language of Java, and JavaScript is, you know, it's to enhance your, your web pages, to add interactions and, and functionality to web pages. And just the act of having to get into that programming mindset really gets the brain thinking in a whole different way because you are having to work within these constructs and these finite limitations. It's the computer can do this or it can't do this. How do you make the computer do what you want to do? So that's one thing to keep to keep on my mind sharp. And then one thing is something as simple as putting your watch on the opposite wrist. It's funny, we are creatures of habit, but if you do little small things like that, or just try eating with the with with um, your non-dominant hand, see how it feels. It'll feel weird at first, but your brain's learning a new path in your brain to keep your brain sharp. Uh, and one thing that I was able to take advantage of this week, going back into the actual JavaScript, was I saw that uh, during COVID, PactPub has some free courses. These courses are designed to take someone who is a novice and get them up to a nice foundational level. And some of the three that I've highlighted here are Python, mainly because I'm in InfoSec and Python is used in lots of scripting, lots of back-end infrastructures of the software that I use. The other one is is JavaScript, like I mentioned before, and the third one is HTML and CSS. It's funny, just working on the website, it's getting reintroduced into the actual 
back end of the web, which is HTML, and then adding the elements to the page or making the page look like the way you want to do it with with CSS. So even walking through those courses, even watching the like videos on the courses and just reading through the course material, you know, it's, it's just reactivating certain parts of the brain that have kind of been dormant because you've been focusing on other types of work or you've been learning different types of work or different types of uh, products. It's always good to go back and get those old muscle memory back into action. So that's what I do to keep my mind sharp. What about you, DJ? So speaking of the document object model, I want to go back to that. That was probably one of the hardest concepts for me to wrap my head around for the longest time when I first learned about that concept. Even today, I probably don't have the most clear understanding of the DOM as, as it's referred to. Can you kind of tell us, I'm curious just personally, how you wrapped your head around that. Yeah, and there are certainly gaps in my knowledge. I'm no expert. But basically, if you break it down to its simplest blocks, you've got your document, which is your web page, which relies on HTML language. If you consider that an object, something in programming something that you can change the document object model says hey if I obfuscate this document or this object I can repurpose this 10 million different ways so I'm able to reuse code on anything that I want I am able to take the same JavaScript I'm able to just call it an object and I'm able to recall that object to any new code that I write or any new HTML that I write. It's it's great in the fact that once you make something an object, it's portable and it can be reused by yourself or any other programmer who wants to use it. So that's kind of how I see it. Like I said, I'm, it's it's been a while and I'm sure I got some stuff wrong, but that's how I'm seeing it. So during this pandemic, a lot of us are learning to live with just what we have in our house. A lot of people aren't going out, thankfully. We're stopping the, the spread and flattening the curve. But that's also left a lot of people reconfiguring their lifestyle. I know that you are a very frugal person and you do a lot of saving and you find very innovative ways to save money but still do what you need to do. Is there any tips you could give everyone on how they could live more frugally during this these hard times? Yeah, one thing is buy things when they're on sale. And that's, that's mainly food. And this is something I learned somewhat in America and then somewhat during my time in Asia. But buy, buy your meat when it's on sale, when it's, when it's 69 cents a pound or 99 cents a pound. Buy it in bulk and then put it in the freezer buy and always buy in bulk if you can because you you do save that way now now that goes to the the other extreme you don't want to buy so much that you become a hoarder but know that if you're going to eat it you know buy in bulk when it's on sale like if like for example i buy chicken love chicken i'll wait for it to get to 69 cents or 99 cents a pound for chicken breast or chicken thighs and I'll stock up 
and then I'll just put it in my freezer and thaw it out whenever I need to eat it. So that's that's one thing I do. What about you? Most of the time, we do try to slowly stock up. We try not to go out and buy things out of fear when they start disappearing off the shelves. We try to buy a couple extra every time we go out and slowly stock up on things. We did just recently purchase a mini fridge that we keep in the house, which allows us to stock up on things a little easier. Aha, uh-huh. good question. Did you buy it new? We did, but I just heard from a friend I spoke with yesterday who said it's actually very hard to find them right now. That would make sense. One thing that I do recommend is when it comes to appliances or things you need around the house, I'm all for quality, but if you are on a budget or you want to live below your means, I find fantastic deals all the time on let go on offer up and even ebay in fact my this this computer that i am recording this on i got it off ebay there's a wonderful nonprofit here in baton rouge and it's called the baton rouge computer recycling center and i got this dell optiplex for 60 bucks it came with a full license of windows 10 came with a hard drive, came with RAM, working, and I said, hey, I I need a project to work on. Let me turn this into a Hackintosh, and that's what I did. I wanted to learn how to use a Mac again, and this has been a great Hackintosh as far as compatibility. Everything works, and it wasn't as, as hard as it used to be, so if you do want to learn about Macs, or if you've never been able to afford one, I would certainly look into making a Hackintosh. You can find tons of videos on YouTube. There's even one from Linus Tech Tips about walking through it. So I don't always buy new unless I have to. I'll often find a great deal by, by buying something generally used or secondhand because you don't always need to buy new. You you um, can always find stuff for the cheaper and then repurpose that into something else like buy that mouse that you were talking about or buy that fancy keyboard that you talked about earlier. So I have a question for you. I'm really, I'm using some old Apple headphones before they switch them all over to the lightning port. I'm really looking at getting a decent traditionally, what is it, 3.5 millimeter jack headphone but i don't just want to get a brand new pair i want to do it frugally are there any tips you could give on kind of how to go through that purchasing and and how to do it where i can find a pair of headphones i could wear for hours upon end without it killing my ears like these little apple earbuds do (laughs) that's funny i've got the earbuds and yeah that that hard plastic it could do it could do some damage yeah it's funny i use foam tips foam tips that are that are normally reserved for high-end headphones it's these headphones that cost hundreds of dollars or even up to a thousand dollars and they're they are from a company called comply and what these are is they're just ear tips or foam tips that are replacements for the ones that come with your headphones and the great thing about them is that they give you a nice noise canceling effect for cheap it'll use this nice foam that you that fits nice in the air it's very breathable it doesn't make your ears sweat 
it's this foam you press down it'll compress once you once you get the foam in your ear you you put it you know on top of your existing cheap headphones like like your airpods or your five dollar headphones that came with your phone you um put these replacement phone tips on and then once i'm there once i'm there in your ear and you've pressed them down and compressed them they then decompress and expand and basically make a nice little wall in your ear canal and this has the effect of basically noise dampening and noise canceling and it's it's amazing how much noise is blocked out versus the versus the simple rubber tips that come with most headphones these days the the great thing is that they cost between $9, $6, $14. They often have sales and they work with your existing headphones, which means you don't have to throw away the headphones that you've already optimized in. And 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 I meant to say earbuds, not not um, headphones because most most of these are for, you know, ear earbuds, not the not the cans. So so comply foam tips, wonderful investment and they often and they've got you know they've got kinds that are for audiophiles as well as people who are into sports so if you want to have nice sounding headphones and you're at the gym or you're running these things will stop stop your ears from sweating great great brand can't can't recommend them highly enough that is interesting i've seen the different ones that go around the apple airpods to sort of keep them in your ear so they don't fall out. By the way, about a month ago while I was raking my yard, I found one single AirPod. It was just covered in mud and dirt that had been lost for who knows how long. This poor person obviously lost it right there and couldn't find it. And it was long gone. It was beyond help. But losing AirPods is a real thing. Do these help? Do you know if these comply foam tips help with that? I've got the first in AirPods and they never fall out of my ear, which is the first headphones that I can say that about. It's it's they are pretty well designed, but the problem is I've had them for a year and a half and the batteries it's just sad nowadays. But I am still use them and they are they are wonderful. In fact, they're Apple's sleeper hit most profit from those product like Ever. It's 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 amazing how much money they make off of those things. I would say uh, get get the get the comply foam tips, put them on your AirPods, and they should not fall out your ear because, like like I said, once you once you compress the foam, it'll go in your ear canal, and then once it expands, it's a nice snug fit. You know, it's 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 hard to get those things out once you once it, once they expand. That's truly the best life tip that you've given on this entire show is how to not lose <laughs> absorbently yeah. priced AirPods. They are expensive. They are expensive. And and do not get those knockoffs. They don't work. Get the real Apple AirPods. Don't get those cheap knockoffs. I've heard nothing but horror stories about those. So I'm curious, you're the frugal guy here. Did you pay full freight for your AirPods? No, I did not. In fact, I used credit card points to get them i use my chase credit card and chase has a portal to the apple store so my purchases over the year prior gave me enough points to buy the airpods so 
I didn't really actually pay, <laughs> pay, pay for them, you know? So, you know, once I paid off my card, I had the points left over and I was just, I was able to use those same points, transfer them to the Apple store and didn't pay anything for them. That's another great tip. Once again, you were just full of them. So while you're listening to your music with your AirPods, how, how else do you create an optimal experience to stay productive? Carl Franklin, the guy who I mentioned before with his music to code by, he got into this flow state from the actual author of the book called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. I'm going to butcher the guy's last name, but it's Sizent Midhali. Sizent Midhali. And he studied people who got stuff done, people who were highly productive. And he interviewed lots of people. And he also went to psychologists and scientists. And he would study brainwaves. And he would do these experiments. Like I said before, there's a certain brain function that 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 like turns on this brain. This brain activity turns on when you get into the quote unquote flow. And like I said before, time just flows. Time just goes. Time just goes out the way. But you're you're so focused on the task at hand that you don't even care about time. And the body reacts in this zen-like state and in, in, in this euphoric chemical reaction and this book flow tells you how to get into that optimal get things done method it's often used by athletes by chess players by programmers by people who have to give presentations it's it's just practicing what the pros do and getting yourself the same tips that they use to get in that state so check it out it's 9.99 on Amazon for the paperback and it's $12.99 for the Kindle. Sadly, I checked there's no Audible version yet, but there is an audio CD out there for people who still rock CD players. Talk about frugal. If you're still buying CDs for your CD player, you're probably getting some really good deals on old CDs. Well, one thing that you could do is you could rip it, you could rip it, you know, and then you could up upload it to your spotify playlist or your apple music or and, and then you would always have it so you could kind of make your own because i'm i'm a huge fan of of audible that is true yeah audible is a really great service especially for times like now where a lot of people are just stuck at home trying to find things to do netflix only lasts for so long yeah and i i i find myself playing some some books from audible and if i'm walking or i'm driving i'll want to you know keep on driving or keep on walking so i can get to that next chapter or if the chapter's so good i'll keep on walking just to just just to hear it and plus if i'm doing a chore around the house audible makes the time go by you know, makes 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 the chore less burdensome i agree the next best thing is a podcast yeah that's true let me ask you this. Do we have a website set up for our podcast yet? Is that online? Can people visit us? Yes, they can. We've been working very hard behind the scenes to bring back from the future show.com. It is live and it is up. So 
we encourage you to check out backfromthefutureshow.com. It's up, it's running, it lives. Well, that seems to conclude our Back From The Future podcast. We'd just like to say thank you to everyone that has listened through this entire episode and everyone that's listened to the previous few episodes we've made. We really put a lot of work into this and we hope that you get value from it as much as we feel like we have shared value with you. We encourage you guys to give us a thumbs up, like it. Please help us get this out to more people, more audience. When you grow, we grow. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It means a lot and it keeps us motivated. It keeps, it keeps it coming back each week. Well, thank you, everybody. We look forward to spending more time with you next week. Have a good Deuces. one.